Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Michael Brandvold, and as always, I'm joined by Jay Gilbert. Jay, how's uh, how's life treating <laughs> you in the last 24 hours? <laughs> yeah, it's been we a while. last talked. Well, uh, my air conditioner's out, but I'm not going to take up our valuable time. Oh, they didn't fix that yesterday? No, we're going to we have to get a whole new unit, man. So, it's it's coming. But uh, it's, it's I, been it's been coming for two years. Yeah. Tell me about it. So the good news. Well, I wanted to share something really quickly with you. I'm wearing this. I don't know if you can see the shirt with Oz Fox from Striper. Yep. Yep. I, I dig those guys in Striper and, and Oz is uh, battling uh, cancer. Yep. And so if you go to striper.com, you can buy a shirt. You can buy some merch and stuff to kind of pitch in to help with uh, his medical bills and help with the cause. So just a free shout out to our friends over at Striper and Oz Fox. Uh, Diggy, man, hope you have a it's, speedy recovery. You no, know, yeah, I've, I'm a fan of Striper and I've been following what's been going on with Oz for the last year or so. Yeah. It's, I don't know, it's an indication of our age, but all the rock stars we grew up listening to and idolizing are in hospitals. And Well, yeah, our generation is aging and, and yeah, dying. It's, and it's yeah. just like, I don't know. It's crazy. It, it, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, when I was 25 years old, you didn't think about that when you, you were heard, indestructible. You well, especially when, you know, the artists that were dying when you were 25 were way before your time. You didn't know who they were. They were your parents artists. Now it's our artists that, yeah. you know, yeah. And not saying that Oz is dying. I'm, I'm, no, no, I'm no, 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 sure no. he's going to pull through this thing and we're, we're cheering for him, but you make a valid point. Our generation of rock stars is aging. You look at these guys in the stones and, you know, kiss and all of these bands, they're like in their seventies now. Yeah. It's hard to believe. Hard, hard to believe. Yeah, it is. It's very hard to believe. Well, before we get to this week's discussion, um, just a quick shout out to HypeBot.com and Bands in Town. Thank you for your continued support. And of course, to our sponsor, DiscMakers.com. We know it's a digital world, but there's still an important role for physical media for today's independent musicians. Digital royalty payments are so small that selling products like CD, vinyl, T-shirts, online, and at gigs has become such an important income generator. And... This week's guest has got another little cool idea mm -hmm. for making some income at your shows. Yeah. Um, for every CD you sell at a gig, you'd need roughly 3,000 streams to make the same amount of money. And that's a lot of streams. Our friends at Disc Makers are the place to go for your discs and other physical media, including vinyl, USB drives, and even T-shirts. So we got a little offer from Disc Makers. Head over to discmakers.com, place an order for 100 or more CDs, and when you check out, use the promo code, this is all one word now, free biz, and you'll save up to $150 on shipping costs. Uh, Jay, who are we joined by this week? Today, we are joined by Zach Bear, who we haven't had on for a little while. It was great Three to years. reconnect with him. Yeah. Um, and this guy's uh, an inspiration. I mean, we'll talk about his company uh, venue, which is VNUE, but also about uh, rock house venues and disc live, which is super cool, set FM, soundster, uh, a lot. But uh, it's inspirational to see all the things he's working on. And one thing that you and I stress all the time, and it's it just can't be about the music, 
You got to think about those experiences. Yep. Yeah. You got to sell an experience with your show, with your music, with your t-shirt. That's what people want to buy these days. I do. An experience. Yeah. Um, All right. So let it roll and we'll see you at the end. Today, we're joined by Zach Baer, CEO of Venue, a music technology platform that helps artists, well, stakeholders monetize the live music experience and much more. Zach, thanks for uh, joining us today. It's good to see well, you. Well, welcome back. Thank yeah, you. Welcome good back. You it's been a while. Uh, yeah, it's been, been a minute, as they say. It's almost like the last uh, year and a half, two years was I don't know, just disappeared on everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. I could, I think we could all say the last 18 months is just like an area of your hard drive that got wiped clean. <laughs> yeah. But maybe not for you, Zach, because with some of the things that you do, maybe that kind of, I don't know, ramped up some of your business, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I will say that, um, you know, I, I, we really hated that um, the, the concert industry and the touring industry got hit so hard. You know, we had tours scheduled for 2020 and then again for 2021, um, Matchbox 20 and with Rob Thomas and some others. And obviously those have now been pushed to 2022. Yeah. Um, But what that did do was it enabled us to focus on further developing our Soundster technology, uh, which is coming along actually really, really good. Whereas we would not probably have had that opportunity if we were out, you know, focusing on you know, artist tours and things like that. And obviously we hated to lose that traction on that side of the market, but yeah. silver lining is we, we did get a lot done. Well, why don't you give us everybody an update on, on what's changed, what's progressed for you in the last three years since you were on? Yeah. So I think really right when I started talking to you guys, we probably just acquired Soundster. Um, yep. not too long before that. And, um, we were just starting to dig into it and, you know, my mindset back then as it is now is that, you know, the, the industry in terms of, um, uh, general licensing, uh, is it's broken, you know, I mean, basically, um, uh, you know, you, you, you own a bar or a restaurant and you end up playing a, paying a blanket fee for, music you may never use. And on the other side of the spectrum, which is really the more troubling part is you have stakeholders like songwriters, publishers, and artists that are not being properly compensated for, for the work um, because there really hasn't been a way to, to, to track that. And honestly, the PROs have not been particularly motivated to do that. So whenever we acquired Soundster, that was really kind of the the kickoff um, of us working to, start to facilitate a change in the way things are, are, are thought about in the industry. And, you know, over that time period, I've been kind of evangelizing that there is a necessity for this change. I've teamed up with a couple of different organizations over that time period, including the Fairness and Music Licensing Coalition. Um, and, you know, really um, in, in terms of development, um, have focused our development team on the automation of uh, the devices because there was really very little automation um, in the platform when we acquired it. We had to have had to do a lot of work to it. Um, but now it's to the point where, you know, we're identifying, um, you know, basically 100% of recorded music um, all the time. And we're working on the live ID section of that so that we can identify music, um, you know, played by bands and karaoke and stuff like this. 
Um, so it really has, you know, in that time period, it's come a long way from where it was when you and I first talked. And, you know, kind of thankfully, the industry has been moving along in that direction too. Um, you know, not too long ago, I guess, six or seven months ago, uh, Dubset, which is kind of in the space, they got uh, acquired by PEX, uh, who is also kind of the big data, um, you know, rights clearing space. And we see a movement uh, in the direction of the industry that's leaning towards more transparency in terms of, um, you know, getting folks compensated. And then, of course, recently, you've probably seen the the bill that's been introduced. Um, uh, uh, it's also a music fair. I can't remember the exact name of it, but it pertains to uh, radio royalties that should be paid to uh, performance royalties that should be paid as well. And I think the Soundster's, you know, hopefully going to play a big role in that and that we can actually track all that stuff, um, uh, you know, on a hundred percent basis. Are you talking so, about radio um, paying the performers in the U S Yes. Yeah. And it, it, as in, uh, you know, a lot of other countries, as you know, they, they already they are. Yeah. And we're, it, it always struck me as strange that we don't do that here. Yeah. And, and we're actually behind in a lot of respects to a lot of other countries when it comes to, um, you know, these types of things. And I think that there's, there's been a groundswell, obviously, in the last several years with the, you know, um, Music Modernization Act and with this, you know, people are starting to see that we're kind of stuck in the past and we need to move forward. And my outlook is, you know, there's been a lot of focus, heavy focus on, you know, the streaming world and that, you know, artists aren't getting nearly what they should. I mean, it's just, you know, tiny. You can have millions of streams and get 300 bucks in my case. And, um, uh, well, let's, it, let's talk about just for a second, Zach, because there's, we, Mike and I talk about this a lot, you know, streaming is, roughly paying out the same, you know, north of, you know, in the 60%, close to 70% of the revenue that's taken in. And I think the, the challenge is, isn't that streaming services don't pay artists, you know, they never paid artists, neither did Tower Records or iTunes, they pay the rights holders. Right holders yeah. Yeah. Love and it. what are, the challenge I see today is that a lot of these contracts with the rights holders are maybe antiquated, and Absolutely. they need to be reworked in the favor of the artists. So some of these companies aren't getting, you know, uh, these war chests and getting rich off of off the artists. And have you been following like what they're doing over in the UK with, you know, Parliament looking at the economics of streaming and, and some of that? Yeah, I've been I'm loosely following it. Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, and that industry is very similar to the industry that we've been focusing on, which is the, you know, the PRO industry and the general licensing is there's just a big gray area of all this money, you know, yeah. somewhere and nobody really kind of knows where it goes to. It's not really transparent. And, um, you know, I mean, obviously the PROs are known to holding these big parties for their, you know, their, 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 their big artists, you know, and they're paying bonuses to these artists, but, you know, friends of mine, uh, that are maybe not top tier artists, but mid tier artists um, and writers, uh, they're not getting paid for the public performances. And I think the same type of situation maybe exists in uh, the streaming world, in the tech companies. Um, and, and I think it does need, it needs a rewrite or a reset, you know, hit the reset button and really right. figure it out where it's going to be more fair. Cause you know, back, you know, I, I guess it, it's 
comparing apples to oranges but back in the day you know, do a record sell millions of copies even if the artist got a dollar a record he was making more than he is right now yeah you know on, on and you hit it on the head zach a lot of the rules regulations things that we operate under in the music industry today are 50 75 100 years old 100 years old it's yeah. crazy yeah and that's what gets me especially i mean in, in that you know again you know not to pivot from um, streaming back to general licensing again, but you know, everything else is digital and like you can digitally track every song that's played, you know, on Spotify or iTunes or whatever it is, but there is no mechanism that really does this for music performed in public spaces. And that's where Soundscript comes in. And, you know, I, I'm a guy who spent half his life in technology and automation and yep. basically trying to automate myself out of a job. And, you know, when we started down this road, you know, <laughs> I mean, I did, you know, I mean, I'm not lazy, but I'm like, look, if I can figure out a way to do it better through, you know, coding, then I will do that rather than having to, you know, work too hard. It's working smart. And the same thing goes for this industry that, as you, you know, rightfully pointed out, it's based on hundred year old contracts and methodologies it needs to change, it needs to come up in the 21st century and the reticence to do that, but it's going to, it's going to move in that direction. And, and I think the more groundswell that we have, the faster it's going to go. Let me, let me ask both of you guys, you know, once the internet and music came together, we basically no longer had, for the lack of a better term, music was no longer territorial. You know, it wasn't my album or my CD or my cassette tape, you know, it was limited by where you could ship a physical good and you had you had a much easier time uh, controlling territorial releases. Mm -hmm. Once the internet exploded, that was gone. You know, I, I, I remember, you know, many, many years ago saying, you know what, now you're releasing your music to the, to the world. Even if you think it's a deal only for France, I'm sorry, it's getting released to the world because at that time, Torrents would take it outside sure. of your territory and it was everywhere. So now that that happened and we are seeing more foreign countries, um, governments, agencies, groups, foreign and internationally starting to be proactive about changing things related to tracking money and who gets paid and, and fairness and all that stuff. Do you think the the efforts made by these foreign countries is sort of forcing the hands of the companies in the U.S. to get their act together because I kind of feel like if it was left up to their own a lot of these companies in the U.S. would just quietly sit back and let that hundred year old contract run their business because it worked for a hundred years that's where they got all their money why disrupt the cart but the rest of the world is disrupting it now and they kind of can't sit by the wayside anymore. Well, I absolutely agree with what you're saying. I mean, um, without question, um, there are other countries that are light years ahead of us in terms of music licensing and understanding how to pay people in different territories and whatnot. And as great as I, I love the United States, there are industries that simply do not want to move forward. It's a very, you know, it's a hugely capitalistic society you know, which is great. Everybody wants to make money, but not at the expense of, um, you know, the, the creators that actually make the music and they, they do this stuff. And, um, 
you know, just from, from my own perspective and, and internal discussions, as well as discussions with folks that have been involved, involved in the, 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 the rights organizations, they don't want to change. I mean, why should they? I mean, they have all this money coming in. They don't really have to say, you know, where it needs to go. They don't really say where it comes from other than kind of a, you know, a broad, you know, broad brushstroke. Um, so it is going to be a matter of newer technologies, um, companies like ours, as well as the regulatory agencies in foreign com uh, countries. And I think we'll help to foster a change and it's probably driving some of the movement that we're seeing right now. And I'll, uh, I'll let you speak on that as well, but that's kind of my opinion on it. What do you think, Jay? Well, I think that this whole industry is reaching a really incredible place right now. And I'm really excited about it. I know there's people who are negative about it and cynical about it. But to your point, Zach, we've been operating under these antiquated, just crazy uh, laws in, in music and the way that uh, revenue was made and accounted for and record deals and some of these based on you know, uh, roles that go on pianos, you know, and things like that and sheet music sales. And <laughs> what I find really excited about all of this stuff is now it's at the table. Now we're talking about it, whether you agree or disagree. And if you think the artists are getting screwed, you know, I don't think that way. I just think that we're finally waking up Mm -hmm. um, and looking at the economics of our new music business, a stream is not worth a download. A download is not worth a vinyl album. You know, there are so many aspects of this business that we're, we're revamping. And to me, that's all positive. I don't want to finger point and, you know, but now we're at the table and I love what's going on at the UK. You know, they're looking at all of this stuff. Now that first um, investigation doesn't really have any teeth, but they're going to pass it along, but you have people testifying. And one of the stats that I saw that came up, which I thought was really amazing is on the hot 100, if you look at the, the number of co-writers per song, the average is four point something for each song. And so, of course, there's less revenue when you're splitting it that way. And of course, yeah. streaming isn't making the kind of revenue. But I would love to get your thoughts on a couple of near misses, which is one of them is high quality audio. Like we had a chance to make that a premium service and bring in more revenue. But no, you know, you get people at the table who say they want oh, to use it as a marketing thing. And next thing you know, it's just the regular cost. And look, we know that not everybody cares about quality of music. That sounds absurd, but I'll listen to a song on an AM radio if it's a great song. I don't need to have the 24-bit. In fact, a lot of times, honestly, with my set up here i can't tell the difference or i'm listening in my car and i can't tell the difference i'm not against high quality audio i'm just saying for me so i'm looking at like we're missing opportunities in the industry to monetize the last thing i'll say on this caffeinated rant is <laughs> look this music is valuable and yet you can for 10 bucks a month you can get access to 70 million tracks almost everything ever recorded or you can use a free version of that that's ad supported or you can go onto youtube and find even more or you can go on a soundcloud and find 240 million tracks i think we need to respect the value of our music and i'd love to get your mm -hmm. thoughts on that too zach and, and mike i mean 
I don't believe that we're really doing that like maybe the book industry has. I mean, you buy a book that you read once for 25 bucks, but yet for $10, you have this amazing music and that's too much money. Yeah. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my opinion on, I think, really where some of this started. And you have to go back to, um, you know, uh, the early 2000s with, with Napster, with downloads and with um, the mindset, uh, especially of a lot of, lot of artists. Um, you know, music industry has always been hard to get into. And the reason it's hard to get into for a real artist, I feel like, is because you do have to have, you have to write good music. You have to have quality music. You have to have quality production, you know, and um, you don't want to listen to, to just garbage. And, right. um the labels have served a purpose throughout history and that they curate that, you know, I mean, right or wrong, however they do it, you know, they have served that purpose. Well, when the ability to cheaply record your music at home and share it online, there were a lot of artists um, that, and I've always felt this is the wrong thing to do that would give their music away. They would throw it out there for free mp3.com, blah, 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 just download it for free, whatever. And that really kind of established the mindset of a lot of people in the, the public space that, you know, music ought to be free. I can get this, you know, I can download it. I can get it off. Uh, I can't remember some little file, you know, file sharing stuff we used sure. to have back in the day. And my company back at the time, I was CEO of a company called uh, Immediatech. And we were developing um, technology that we called secure burn technology. And what that did was we had a, and this is before, right before iTunes came out, and we had a, uh, a website and a platform that allowed fans to download, you know, mix and match tracks, and they would, they would download it, but it would burn directly to a CD. It would leave nothing on the hard disk, and the CD itself could not be copied. It was absolutely wow. brilliant technology. So you had DRM built in. We had DRM built into it, and, um, you know, we were of the mindset as were the labels back in the day, like, look, this is valuable. If you want it, you need to buy it. So Apple came out, you know, literally probably a year after we were really starting to get traction with it. Um, we'd already done a couple of major releases with some artists and whatnot, and they changed the whole world. Well, you can, you know, use iTunes and get two or three copies and give to your friends or whatever. And all of a sudden, you know, you're, again, you're diluting the, the value of that music. And I think that's just permeated over the, over the years and at the end of the day the the consensus was well you know um if we offer them a product that's higher quality there will be a certain percentage of people who will buy that but there will always be a percentage of people who will steal it anyway so we're just going to yeah. go this route and not not worry about it too much and i really think that's a flawed you know in my own opinion anyway that was a flawed way to think about it so you flash forward to today and when you look at all these stream, streaming revenue and the millions of streams and, and you know, all the songs available, your, your value is already diluted because that mindset's been in, you know, embedded in your brain for the last 20 years. Yeah, and I think we do need a reset some way or another to increase the value. I mean, what we do with, obviously with Disc Live is we go out and record artists and you, have, you can get it on our app platform, SetFM. You know, and it's a download. You pay for it, so the publisher gets their full nine and a half cents or whatever. Or you can buy a limited edition 
CD set, you know, double CDs. Of course, a lot of kids nowadays don't even know what a CD is, but I guarantee you most of the legacy artists that we work with, you know, um, their fans love it. You know, they got a, an actual physical thing they can put on their desk. And guess what? We're charging 40 bucks for it. And they'll pay it because they'll pay that for a T-shirt. But instead, this money goes back to the artist. It goes back to the, the stakeholders. You know, it, it's real value, you know, as opposed to the streaming stuff. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I, I think, you know, what I see as one of the big factors that brought music down to no value in, in the consumer's mind is uh, two things. One, once it became non-physical, there was just that mindset of, yeah, if yep. I can't hold it, there's no value to it. Yep. Even though literally a year earlier, that same song on a CD was valued at $18 to me. Now I don't have a physical good. So therefore it's supposed to be free. So yeah. I think that was a huge issue that drove, and that's not just music, that's TV shows, that's books, that's yep. that, that removing of the physical media. But then I think right along with it, what happened when you had, iTunes is and Jay and I have talked about this many times you've totally thrown away the experience exactly of acquiring music or what you're acquiring now yep. to to what you're doing Zach you're you're selling a live recording but actually what you're selling is that experience I was yep. at this show and I want something of my experience at this show um that's missing there, you know, it, for the most part, whether it's Spotify or Apple music or Amazon, there's no experience in, in acquiring music anymore. I mean, the closest you get mm -hmm. is that wake up Friday morning and iTunes is automatically downloaded your new music for you. That's sort yeah. of the extent of your experience these days. And I think artists and labels and everybody needs to always think back to how do we add experience back into this equation? Cause if you can, you can sell it because people for a lot more not, the people. Yeah, yeah. Because that experience is, is, is people are buying their, their emotions, their feelings. Um, it's, you a, know, moment. it's exactly. a moment in time and you can't, you can't pirate that. You can't nope. steal an, um, an experience from somebody. So, I mean, that's why these VIP programs exploded yeah. because that yep. was, yes, you're selling the opportunity to meet your idol, but you're selling an experience. Yep. And people yeah. put a value on that and said, I will pay a thousand dollars for an incredible experience. So if artists can figure out how to bring an experience, even a little bit, back into their music into their release and their activities that brings the value back i think well and, I, and I'll, I'll say this too is i also think that humans by nature i think are tactile i like to go into a store i mean i'll, I'll order stuff on, off amazon but i still like to go in the store and pick it up and touch, touch it, feel, it, feel it. it does it I feel like solid it, yeah solid. it feels like you're actually getting something and i completely agree with you with with itunes or whatever i just don't there's just not as much excitement as when you took that Pink Floyd album home, you know, and, you know, ripped the cellophane off for the first time and read the liner notes. I mean, 
And, and I think that's, by the way, that's another reason I think that, that vinyl is a resurgence as well as I've even seen people doing cassette tapes, you know, for yeah. an experiential product. Eight you know? track. And remember, remember a few years ago when Cheap Trick released eight track yeah. tapes. I think it's great. You Love know, people, people just eat that stuff up and, and they're high dollar items. And though, those dollars go to the people that, that deserve it the most, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you talking about that experience of ripping the cellophane off. I mean, there was so much part of that experience, just the repping the cellophane off and pulling the vinyl out and the smell of the vinyl. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and why, and why I just thought of that is I literally just saw on Facebook yesterday, somebody is selling, scented candles that are yes. scented to smell like a record store <laughs> i saw that i want one <laughs> i was just like yeah i mean oh you know you're 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 appealing to the consumer's senses of touch of smell everything that goes along to make a memorable experience you know boy i mean we all know you come across a smell and it takes you back 20 years to where you were when you first smelled that chocolate chip cookie or whatever it might be that's got to be brought back in somehow and i and i know it's not as easy as just saying bring in experience back but i think the challenge is companies need like what you're doing need to sit here and go well what can i do what's what's get what's creative what do these consumers want what they'll spend forty dollars for uh basically a ripped cd because they were at that show yeah i would in a second in a second if i could go back right now to my favorite artists and say could i buy these dozens of shows over the last how many years i'd be lining up to buy those Disclive.net, by the way, D-I-S-C-L-I-V-E.net. So you there go check. You go. But um, yeah. but seriously, now I will will to our credit, I'll say they they are better than just a rip CD. We actually do mix and master on the fly, so they're yeah. good quality. They're they're high quality. But even back in the day when we were first started out doing this, 17 years ago, before any of this started really started happening, um, um, it was a much simpler process, much simpler recording, but people were still just they're flying off the shelf. I mean, and they sell as good now as they did 17 years ago. Our average conversion rate it shows is 15 percent. Yeah, wow. I mean, you know, Jay, Jay and I are huge Kiss fans, and yeah. you know, was it back in 2005? Kiss did a tour with yep. Instant Live. Yep, and I can't tell you the the. And, and I was working with Kiss at the time. The fans were so like, yeah, I'm running out of my seat to go get in line to get my CD right after this. And, you know, oh, I missed this one. Does somebody have one they can buy, buy for me? I can't go to the show. And even to this day, fans are still talking about, wow, how great that was. I wish yeah. fans would do that again because I could spend back then $25 to get a couple – burn cds of that show that i just went to and yeah, yeah. countless Fans people were it. buying everything they could get yep they yeah. had it on thumb yeah. drives they had it on cds and yeah. 
you, you know, know, remember back in the day when the Grateful Dead and, and you taper know, sections, these, these jam bands were really leading the charge on that stuff. They were these tape trading networks and all of that stuff. Yeah. And there was one camp that said, well, you know, that's going to hurt our sales of our album. And no, no, it's no. not. Because no if you way. want a live recording of Kiss, trust me, you're going to buy their new studio. Album <laughs> well, and you know, and, and, and let's also be honest, the people who are buying these live CDs for the most part are going to be your most diehard fans who are going to buy anything right. you release anyway. That's right. The, the average casual fan who only knows one song isn't going to want to go out and immediately spend 40, $50 just to get a CD of the show they were at. Cause they only wanted to hear you do one song. So, yeah, it's not going to really cannibalize, but it goes back no. to antiquated contracts. I mean, I remember in mindset. When, yeah, when when Kiss Absolutely. did that, they weren't currently signed to a record label. As soon as they re-signed to a record label, the next tour, guess what? Can't do busy. that anymore because <laughs> the record label has the rights to our recordings, mm -hmm. and yeah. they don't want to do this. Yeah, what's interesting is more and more artists are doing carve-outs where they can do this kind of stuff, you know, with their with their labels. And more labels are starting to play ball because they do realize that if they deal fair with fairly with the artist, you know, let the artist have some some of the revenue, the label can have yeah. some of the revenue, then everybody wins. Right. And plus, there's not a lot of revenue in sales, streams and downloads. That's no. why experiencers are important and merch is important and uh, sync and all of these ancillary revenue streams, because we used to have a simpler uh, music industry. And yep. Zach, you, you play music, right? You've you you've played in bands and done these things and you've seen how it used to be, man, if you got some radio airplay um, and you had some regional success, you could get a label to pick you up and you would get your royalty. You'd get an advance and you'd get your royalty, man. That's not the path anymore. There are a hundred different paths. So that's no. gotta be a uh, kind of mind boggling for you watching that evolution over the years. But now having a, a hit album or a hit song, it just doesn't have the revenue that it used to have. So you have to have these experiences. Not only that, as I, I was reading um, the other day, I think it was in uh, maybe Variety or Billboard or something that the, um, there hasn't really been like smash hit singles in on the streaming platforms in some time. And each year, the number of streams for a, a perceived smash single is slightly slightly dipped every year. So it's it's spread out more, I guess, if you want to call it that. I'm really not really sure how to say that, but, you know, talking as to, you know, how things have changed over the years, um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm thankful for internet technology because, I mean, when I was younger and playing in my, my band back in the day, it was really hard to try to do anything at all, you know, get the attention of a label or, um, you know, or get signed and, Nowadays, you really don't have to get signed if you do it right. Um, you know, we were able to grow our uh, Facebook fan base. I think we now have around 200,000 fans on our Facebook page and, nice. you know, substantial, you know, and I've done three singles in the last um, three years and they've all done, you know, pretty well on their own. And, um, uh, but I'm also doing what I would call a hybrid approach and like we're, we're marketing to, 
you know, obviously the, the Spotify's of the world, things like that, but I also have a record promoter, Jody Best, and um, we do the traditional, you know, radio promo interviews, you know, like this. And, um, and I still think there's a lot of value in, in radio, even if we never get signed, but that's really not the objective. We just want to get the music out there and build our fan base so that when our band goes on the road, we do have a good size audience to play to. And we, you know, we sell stuff <laughs> at the end of the day. Right. Yeah, exactly. Ex exactly. I mean, it's, yeah, I tell clients all the time. Yeah. You know, radio still has value. It's just not necessarily going to move the dial. Like you right. think it would move the dial 30, 40 years ago. Right. But and it, radio is now following the lead of streaming. Whereas a few years ago, streaming was following the lead of radio. So now yeah. the tail's wagging the dog a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hundred percent changed across the board. It's amazing. Yeah. Wow. So, so Zach, where, where can people learn more about you, your services, your yeah. website, you know, if that, you know, because I mean, and, and feel free, I mean, you've got more than just one company here. You've got your band, you've got some, got a lot of things uh, going you've on got venues <laughs> crazy right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe there's an artist that's coming through town where one of your venues is at and wants to do a show. I mean, how can they, find everything you're involved in sure so um really the main the main company um uh, is venue vnue.com and if uh, somebody wants to do outreach for either for disc live or for set fm our recorded products uh and for soundster for our music recognition technology um they can just go to contact at venue.com or info at venue.com um and somebody can reach back out to them if they're interested in talking to me about any of the crazy things I do, I have <laughs> ZachBear.com and ZachBearMusic.com, which is more the, the, the band website. Very cool. um, then we've got, um, uh, if there are artists who are wanting to play, um, uh, my Rock House Live venues, uh, which I've partnered with, uh, um, actually partnered with the president of Hard Rock Cafe International, who, who was president back in the day, Jock Weaver. We just launched our flagship location in Clearwater um, in April. Uh, I'm actually sitting in Key West right now because we're launching this location uh, in nice. the next month. And then we we're launching one in Oxford, Mississippi, uh, home of Old Miss. Then we have two more in uh, in Memphis, which were my original two incubator locations. Very cool. Um, so we're all about the music. We're actually going to be enabling streaming from all the all the Rock House locations. So not only can we stream to other locations throughout the world we'll be able to stream online and globally as well. So just a lot of different stuff going on and it's all about music and, and uh, uh, I'm real easy to get hold of. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking to us. It's always a pleasure and good uh, luck with the you. rock house launches, man. That's, you thank got you. your finger in a lot of pies. So <laughs> good luck. Good luck with that. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. I mean, it's always good to talk to you and, you know, really love what you're doing with the, with the podcast. So, uh, you know, keep, keep rocking. Thank, thank you, you thank you so much zach all right thanks Take again care. zach cheers man discmakers.com use code freebiz for ground shipping on cd orders of 100 units or more 150 dollar value it was great getting an update from zach um i i love to see all the different things he's doing i mean yeah. he you know 
he's a band, he's got venues, he's got these companies, he's recording shows live. I mean, yeah. you know, here's, here's a guy who's got his fingers everywhere. Yeah. It's inspiring. I mean, you and I are busy, but I love it when I see somebody who's got all these different companies and things. That he's, and if you look at his track record, he's always been into technology and into music yep. and, I think there's something special about somebody who's actually, you know, picked up a guitar and, and toured and done those things. They look at their business a little bit different than maybe somebody who just went to business school. Well, yeah, Not saying I mean, one's better than the other. It's just different. Yeah. I mean, that, that comes back to what we always say about, well, you know, these developers who release this software never use their own <laughs> right. product. Right. Well, okay. Here's, here's a guy who's launched some venues who's actually in a band. So he knows what it's like to deal with venues yes. go into venues. And that, that gives just a slightly different outlook and attitude towards yeah. what he's doing. Yeah. Absolutely. Same, same with all of his other products. It's like, okay, he understands how much work it might be for an artist to do something to earn yes. that revenue. You know, it's not just a, you know, he, he knows that not every artist has a team of 20 people around them who can just because he's one of them because right yeah, exactly. and he's not like what you and i talk about all the time he's not a solution looking for a problem right you know he knows what the problems are and can find a solution for those so hats off to him for all of these cool things that he's doing the the rock house the venue disc live set fm soundster the list yeah. goes on so yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean, and, and, and I think at the end, what we were talking about, just try and always think about the experience and what you're doing people. I think that's so important. I mean, it's, you're not just selling music. No. I mean, you've got to have great music. There's no doubt about that. We say that every single day, but you've got to put an experience around that music whether that's the experience of going to listen to that music live, to watch it live, to purchase it live, to purchase products related to the music. It's about wrapping an experience into it. Because again, as I said, you can't pirate an experience. Nope. You can't, you can't that. take yep. that away from somebody. You can't take away my experience. The goosebumps I get when I go buy something new and can't wait to get home to listen to it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's so, um, takeaway. yeah, be, before we wrap up, just a quick shout out to Bruce and Hypebot as well as bands in town. Thank you so much for everything you do to support us. And of course, discmakers.com. We appreciate your sponsorships uh, week in and week out. And of course, if you're interested in sponsoring the Music Biz Weekly podcast and reaching our target audience of musicians and bands and industry people and do-it-yourselfers, uh, reach out to Jay or myself and we'll be happy yeah. to speak with you. Um, hit that subscribe button on YouTube. Follow us on Spotify. Subscribe on iTunes. We're on Twitch. We're everywhere. You can listen to podcasts and that's it. We'll see everybody next week.